Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Tanya. Let's go, girls. Let's talk to the world. <laughs> Katanya, this is so sweet. I mean, it's like a party. Yeah, it's definitely a party. It's a party. Podcast. We're just hanging out. For sure. What was that yesterday, Katanya? What did you call us? Jules <laughs> uh, Jules. No, we had Jules Jules. And Mel's Bell. Mel's Bell's and K-Bay. And K-Bay. Oh, yeah, K-Bay. <laughs> yes, Jules, Jules. <laughs> and that's J-E-W-E-L because you're a jewel. <laughs> that's how my mama spelled my name. Really? That's awesome. Yep. That's so sweet. That is sweet. Those little sweet remnants. Hmm. Yep. In the path of evolution because there was so much more to it. <laughs> <laughs> Right? It's amazing what we do, and we don't really even understand the consequences of that, right? Mm. Until so much later. Speaking of evolution. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of evolving. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all done a little bit of that, especially oh, this last God. year. Oh, my God. That is so true. I feel like evolution is one of those megalopolis topics that we could talk about forever and never even scratch the surface. You know, you guys, when we were um, talking yesterday about having our conversation, I was meditating on the concept of evolution. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, number one, what a personal thing it is. It can't ever be anything but personal. That's true. And then in my household growing up, nobody even mentioned the word evolution. Nobody told me I would evolve. It was almost like I was born this crystallized thing that I didn't have a choice about. And I would never get to impact. I wondered about you. Yeah, we didn't, of course, evolution that And even today, in many circles, it's kind of a hippie word, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, we were raised that we had to be very specific. Go to church, praise the Lord, don't wear pants, don't listen to music, don't swear, that's it. Mm -hmm. And everyone should know that you were a child of God by how you looked, which was plain, really, because we couldn't wear makeup, we couldn't wear pants or jewelry. So we were supposed to stand out in that way. So evolving to what? Yeah, no, that was not my household. What about you, Mel? Wait, where did you grow up, Catania? I grew up here in LA. Oh, that's right. Yeah, in the Pentecostal faith. Mm -hmm. What a paradox. (laughs) You're in the midst of Tinseltown while you're trying to become nothingness. Exactly. Wow. Mine was interesting. I think that culturally speaking, it was sort of like told to me or conveyed to me that this is how we do things. Mm. And you just have to kind of fall in line and do things as we do things. Mm. My parents always did want me to evolve, but their idea of evolution was just the fulfillment of the things that they weren't able to do. But it was never true evolution because when I truly started evolving, it became a problem. 
(laughs) (laughs) You can't decide how you want to evolve now. Right, right. (laughs) I get that. You don't have the freedom to evolve. And now look at us all. We've all made choices. Yeah. Willingly or unwillingly to evolve. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always come introduced in the package that we were taught. That's the quickener. And the greatest surprise, you don't get to be in charge of what will bring you a choice where you either have to evolve or you will be destroyed Mm -hmm. in the process. Or you can always imitate where you come from and then not feel what you feel, know what you know, learn what you've learned, and devolve instead of evolve. We have to know why. How do I affect evolution? What's involved here? How can I affect change? Because if we all come from like no change, (laughs) repetition of history, how are we going to break the mold and make some new choices, you know? Mm. Katanya, how do you feel like you've broken the mold in your Mm. family history? Because you're so your own person and it almost feels like you've always been that. Like you've had a vision somewhere in yourself that you've been able to unfold. I never knew what that was, but you are absolutely right. I was the only one of 11 to do almost everything (laughs) as a first. I was, it was a very restrictive family. My mom, she did the best that she can, she could, bless her heart. And, but it was difficult for us. And I was the only one to rebel against that. Mm-hmm. Much like her, she ran away from home at 16 because her mom was the same. I started running away to friends and family's homes at 14 and was emancipated at 17. However, I was the first to get an undergrad degree, certainly the first to get a master's degree, the first to start a business. So I didn't know that what this fire was, but there was always this fire that said, no, this doesn't feel right. I know you're my mom. I know this is what we're doing as a family, but it doesn't feel right to me. And I most certainly couldn't articulate that and was deemed for a long time like the black sheep of the family. There was just something else planned for me. And in order for that thing, whatever that is, to come to fruition, I had to be different and go out in different ways. And that's what I think it is. Mm-hmm. Wow. And interestingly enough, that started at such a young age, but I feel like it's just taking hold now. Mm. Whatever all of those years were, it's prepared me for what's coming next. And it's a very, very interesting yet difficult time in my life. So the process of evolving is in full force for me right now. Do you think the catalyst has been something that is, if not pain, the cousin of pain? Like what initiates the new transformation? What initiates your new path? Oh, the greatest and worst pain I believe that any human being can deal with. And that is the loss of a child. Mm -hmm. Losing my baby just, oh God, eight months ago today um, was just an incredible battle. And 
it was just wow just yeah that that's a little bit of a trigger but um i said in in the early months and it's still early but this is cruel this is mean this is personal and and i think most people feel that way initially but i dove into the work i dove into multiple grief support groups mostly for parents into meditation and reading and praying and consulting and and I came out or I'm coming out understanding this isn't personal, this isn't cruel. It's just the journey that I have to travel. And as difficult and as unfortunate as it is, it's just my journey, right? And the only thing that I could do for Ryan and for my, myself is to create purpose out of this pain. And I can't say to you today that I know what that purpose is, but I can say to you 100% that I know now that there is a purpose and the spirits are working with me every day to realize that the knowledge of that purpose is coming to me mm-hmm. and it's helping me in this very, very difficult period in my life, definitely brought about by the worst pain imaginable. Mm. So sorry. I'm so sorry. And it's such a mystery that the unimaginable can happen. And then I don't know, Katanya, if you felt that way, but in my own frame of reference, when the unimaginable happens, I am no longer who I was a minute before it happened. And I will never be that person again. And so change gets introduced without a choice. I don't know what I'll become. I don't know what tools will hold me up. But I do know one thing. I am not where I ever was before. And nobody can see it. So I can't even share it except for those who have endured something similar. On that journey, what has accompanied you? If I could say magic, mystical, beautiful, spiritual magic. I have to first say thank you to my Ryan because he's been so present in so many ways that only someone who is open and who believes and who looks for the signs that are always there could understand. And I've developed this beautiful practice of meditation that I'm firmly committed to. And in those practices, I've had the most beautiful experiences, just mystical and magical in so many ways. And it has really, really propelled my belief and knowing, like I now know. Early on, Mel was so beautiful and such a sister to me. She was so present and gave me IV drips when I simply could not eat and stay by my side. I only asked for knowing because I didn't know. I came from this background where we weren't even allowed to believe in so many of the things that I now know are true. And I needed to know, I didn't need anyone to tell me that Ryan was okay and 
He was still with me. I needed to know. And I'm so happy and so incredibly grateful to now say, I know these things. I know it. I've heard his voice. I've had visitation and dreams. I felt him. Like, I know that Ryan is okay. I know he's with me. I know that all our loved ones are okay and they're happy and they're with us. And I, I just see the world so differently. I couldn't be more different than the minute before I discovered this horrible thing that happened. I don't even know who that older person was. And mm. I thought I was a good person. I thought I was compassionate. I didn't even know what compassion was. And it's hard to know what compassion is until your heart is shattered in a zillion pieces. And you walk this earth feeling so empty, but managing to put a smile on your face and understanding that people don't know how empty you are inside. And so now I'm able to look at the world that checkout person who's rude and distant or the waiter who forgets an order and will say, what an idiot. I told him I wanted no onions. And to see, we don't know what they might be struggling with. We don't know what goes on behind those smiles. Mm -hmm. And what this pain does is it forces this beautiful level of compassion that I thought I had. I had no idea what true compassion really was and is. Mm -hmm. And now I do. And um, I'm so incredibly sorry that losing my child had to bring me here. But here I am. Yes. Wow. Thank you for sharing a little strand of your personal journey with it. I really think that's what's missing for all of us. It's almost like we're stumbling in life and then something hits us unimaginably hard. Yeah. And because we didn't know, it's inevitable. Yeah. On some level, we're so ill-prepared and nobody wants to talk about it. Because it triggers their fears. Uh, no one's ever been taught that life is truly a journey. I love the Native American teachings. That's a thread in so many of the tribal wisdoms of walking the good red road and how you know that you just have to walk your path, but you don't know what you'll meet on that path. And you don't blame yourself for not being prepared when you encounter something shattering. It's just you know you're supposed to go inside when it happens and seek that just what you did. You know, show me the knowing what I need to know. And then the greater universe opens up. And I think what your journey was, that's how we're going to do it individually. Well, it starts individually. There are certain lessons that we just have to learn and they have to come from within. Because of our culture, we don't have the natural tools or inclinations to really understand and empathize with other people. We push grief away. We push pain away. Mm. It's about be strong. Mm. Boys don't cry. Be, you know, take it in. And, and we develop this shell. So pain breaks those shells. Yes. It destroys the shell. Mm. And the shells have to be broken in order for us to truly be able to embrace 
our brothers and our sisters in a way that matters. At least that's what I think. And that's my experience. Mm. And it's a paradox, too, because we're here. We're very much here. But our threads of all our loved ones, including ourselves, is here through when we repair this physical form, whatever brings us there. We don't understand there's a delicate balance all the time in the process and in, in the worlds. And the pain is paradoxical because it's personal pain. Yeah. And yet it's good news. You know, someone just evolved. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember my very dear friend and mentor for many years, we were working with a population where really everybody was dying of HIV positive things. And I was like, we just have to figure out the solution to this. And she said to me, Julie, you think this is the problem? (laughs) Right? You think this is, we're going to solve this problem? And I was like, well, it will make their lives easier. She said, no, what do you care what they call it when someone passes? Why are you so invested in what they're going to call it? The point is, we have a lot of people right now we have to assist. Yeah. That doesn't mean we're going to solve this. That's true. And what a paradigm shift that is. Yeah. It's amazing the things that it takes. Sometimes it's just a word or a sentence or one explanation of something that could just open our eyes and shift everything. But you were open to that, right? A lot of people just aren't open to their eyes being open. They're comfortable Mm. walking around with this sheath covering their eyes. And I don't know, maybe I was that person too. Well, we live in such a strange era, but it's always interesting to me how art and culture reflect where we're actually at. And Julie pointed out that Um, she started noticing that there's all these movies about zombies and all of a sudden it was like zombie everything. And I was, and how that's such a direct reflection of society. Like it is actually on some level and it's really become a culture of numbing the pain. And there's all these myriad of ways. I mean, there's like CBD outlets on every single corner because they're the new liquor store. There's so much pain and people are just looking to just numb it. Yeah. Mm. You talked about zombies. It's interesting. I was reading something and I can't remember what it was, but it was talking about spirits and why our culture, our culture specifically is so afraid of spirit. We're inundated with haunted house stories or horror movies. Mm. And so all spirits is something scary and to be feared. Then, yeah. So then later when you grow up and there's a beautiful spirit trying to connect with you, you freak out, right? And how wonderful it must be to grow up in cultures that embrace spirits. Yes. The beautiful ancestors who come and try to interact with Mm. us and communicate with us in beautiful ways. Mm. And so, yeah, so it's very similar to the zombie thing. It's we're so controlled by our media and all of these messages. And it's too bad. Yeah, it is too bad. Because think about the dialogue we would have and how much less pain 
we would have if it were just part of a vernacular, you know, as part of our way, you know, if we knew that that was in everyone Mm -hmm. or even the way we manage difficult situations that lead to pain as an outcome would be different. Spirit on all level, like how much distance do we have right now from a scientific empirical science paradigm to one of a spiritual paradigm if we demystify words? Mm -hmm. And what if we start with the word energy and we transform that, you know, looking at atomic wave and particle and move to different energies into understanding spirit as energy? Couldn't we just bridge that and now start accepting it, even if we don't fully empiricalize it? I don't know if that's a word or if I just made one up. I like it. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> I'll take it. But you know, Jules, Jules, I think that's kind of happening. I, mm. I, I kind of have a crush on this guy, Joe Dispenza. Oh, yeah. He ta- and he talks about, <laughs> um, like, you know, a, a playful crush because he's so smart and I love just smart people. Yes. But he talks about that so much and he's a brainwave guy Mm -hmm. and how that connects to the energies. And and I'm reading so much about that. So there's a lot of work going on. And even many of them are saying, well, we can't prove it, but we also cannot disprove it, Mm -hmm. which to me also says something really big, right? And so I think we're really making some big strides there. And once again, We just have to get out of these boxes that we grew up in. Mm. Knock those little cardboard paper walls down. They're not strong enough to hold you in. Mm. Do you guys remember that research that was done 15, 20 years ago, uh, Dr. Larry Dossey? And he was a doctor who was an atheist. And he worked with a lot of terminally ill patients. He started this um, double-blind study. And he asked people to come to, if they say traditional prayers, fine. If they send light, fine. Send good energy, send good vibes, send love. Mm -hmm. Half the patients were made aware, Mm -hmm. and half the patients did not know this was happening. And then he had patients that were not prayed for. The ones that were prayed for, by far and away, had unexplained went into remissions and recoveries and full recoveries. And he said that wasn't the most surprising thing in his study. The most surprising thing is those who signed up for the study reported having awarenesses of the people they were praying for and started coming to him saying, do you have, as one of the patients a man around this age, and does he come from this background, and is he from this family? And he'd say, yes, why? And they'd say, I saw him when I was starting to meditate on him. And I think what he really needs is this. They became connected to them, not just aware of them, connected. Wow. And uh, I think that we need more studies so we can come out of those proverbial boxes. Yes, I agree. I love those kinds of stories. Those are my favorite ones. The non-believers becoming the believers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And 
When believers of dogma become non-believers and start their quest, that's also equally inspiring. Yes, so inspiring. Oh my gosh. Um, You guys, I stumbled on this poem this morning. Can I share it with you? Yes. It's just a piece of it. It's from, this man lived in the 1300s, and he often just blows my mind. And people think of him as the poet Hafiz, but in fact, he wasn't a poet. He really was a a Sufi master, a spiritual leader, and he wrote poetry. Okay. (laughs) And there's just this amazing poem that makes me think of and chuckle about where we are. And and I knew we'd be having this discussion about evolution. And so this poem is called, Why Just Ask the Donkey? He says, why just ask the donkey in me to speak to the donkey in you when I have so many other beautiful animals and brilliant colored birds inside that are all longing to say something wonderful and exciting to your heart. Let's open all the locked doors upon our eyes that keep us from knowing the intelligence that begets love and a more lively and satisfying conversation with the friend. Let's turn loose our golden falcons so they can meet in the sky where our spirits belong. And it goes on, and and then he says, If you have a better idea of how to pass a lonely night and carries on, when I have so many other divine animals and brilliant colored birds inside that are all longing to so sweetly greet you. Mm. I love that poem. So sweet. Isn't it? It's like, why do you just want to ask the donkey in me? (laughs) You know what that says to me is, why do we need to talk about things that are unimportant yeah. and not impactful? We could have bigger, more beautiful conversations that yes. make us walk away feeling better. That's what I get from that, Mel. Is that what you get? Yeah. I, it reminds me of what we were talking about the other night, how oh, yeah. you know, small talk is just like kind of uncomfortable yeah. <laughs> after a while. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, okay, <laughs> let's, let's transcend from this conversation, right? Yeah. Or m- yeah. maybe it's the intro. Maybe it's just meant to be the intro. I like mm-hmm. your beautiful earrings. I love your beautiful hair. And then that leads us to a higher theme. Mm-hmm. So it's perfectly fine to make someone at home. Yes, comfortable. Mm -hmm. Well, when Mm -hmm. it starts with your earrings or hair, it's one thing. I think it's more so when it's like, did you hear about, what were you saying, Katanya? I'm not going to say the name, but did you hear so-and-so had a baby by that young boy? (laughs) When it starts there, it's like, where do you go with that? (laughs) I don't know. I don't really care <laughs> going down to the donkey <laughs> right. let's go with the falcons yeah uh, yeah I have a question for you both have you ever experienced an evolution in yourself where pain wasn't the origin yeah of course as a mother I remember I brought my first baby boy home and I was a young mother I was 21 So I wasn't really aware. I knew that I wanted to be a good mother. I knew that I had to break the cycle, but I really wasn't aware of what that would take. And and we came home and I was home and I 
I sat on the bed, I'm holding this little beautiful baby and something washed over me like this just beautiful sense of responsibility for this child and love. And so I think as a first time parent, a young woman who'd been on her own for all these years, now this single mom, it forced something in me or to do better. Like I knew that I had to be a better person for him. And Chris has really been a catalyst in my life to make me want to evolve, but it was more professionally parental, just breaking different cycles, but it was Mm. definitely a catalyst for evolving. Yes. I love that. Also because of where it's brought you, because I, I so see you as not just a mother to your own children, but to so many other children. I know that so many people consider you a a mother figure. So that's really incredible that you, considering what you came from, you evolved that to the complete opposite place. But I guess in some way that did come from a pain because of the pain of your experience with not getting the kind of mom that you thought you would have maybe? No, I guess you're right. I really wanted it to come from a place of love, but I think love too. Yes. Mm. Because I love this child so much Mm -hmm. that he deserved better. Yes. Mm. So, so yeah, I think heart pain and also from love. Yeah. No, I think it's definitely hand in hand. You guys, that makes me think of something I so want to share with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I bet you have always heard this in like pop psychology, so not confirmed, but just what spreads as a fact, which is that people who grew up with abuse become abusers. People grew up with neglect become neglectors and so on. But I have observed in my practice the opposite. That is not true at all. Mm. I think Just like you are talking about, Katanya, we long to give what we did not receive. We long to do it from love. And we know what it felt like to not receive or be seen or be tended to or be acknowledged or be of value. And so we long to bring it and stop the pattern. whether it's in our own family or everyone we meet on the street. But I just love that. That's really the true human incentive behind people's motives. It's just we don't talk about it and we haven't known that about perfect strangers. That maybe it doesn't feel sweet to you what they just delivered, but maybe it's a lot sweeter than what they grew up with and they're figuring it out and practicing on us, you know? Yeah, I think you're right. I think we want to. Mm. We all want to do better and be better, but we just don't have the tools. And so when we don't have the tools, then I think it's harder to break those cycles. Mm. And where do we get the tools? That's why we have to go inside. We have to go inside. Mm. That's amazing. So Mel, you don't get away. You get to answer Exactly. Have I ever evolved without there being pain? Mm -hmm. I don't know. All the big things that really have shaped me have been because of a pain where I've I've had no other choice but to go deeply in. 
that's why I was so curious if you guys had experienced the opposite. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you're there, Smishy? When I'm where? In pain. Well, I for me, community is really important. I think mm-hmm. I need people. And I've always found myself in the company of other people who have also experienced that kind of pain or in music or in movies or I feel accompanied in that way. And I'm like, yes, I'm not alone. Because for me, it always goes back to feeling really, really alone inside of me. And then when I find art that's been made that perfectly articulates the feeling that I'm going through, I feel better. I feel accompanied. I'm like, okay, these people overcame it. If they can overcome it, I can. You know, just hearing Catania talk at the beginning of this podcast, I don't know why, why it makes me so emotional, but it feels like such a miracle that you can go through something so hard and come out and be even better and also know that you're still accompanied. I guess it makes me think of my dad. You know, when my dad passed away, it was such a big thing. I don't, I didn't think I would ever come out of it. And now it's like, I feel like my relationship with him is closer than it ever could have been had he stayed alive just because of the kind of life he had, Um, you know, what he was capable of or not capable of, but there's so much more understanding I have around it. And I don't know if I would have ever been attracted to the people or the kinds of things that I had to seek out after he passed. But I'm so thankful that I did because they mean so much to me and they're such a big part of me. So it's really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. (laughs) Because I know for myself, the most shattering losses in my life are the exact reason why I am who I am and what I am today. And I used to be embarrassed about that. But now I just embrace that it's the catalyst. You can't go and have a baby without giving birth. And giving birth is never pleasant, is never easy, no matter if people say it's natural, that's painful. And I feel that's true by every single thing, every move, every unfoldment, every petal that unfurls. There's a process behind it that without that, we can't have that at the end. And I think that's the hardest thing to see in yourself. Because if I hadn't lost my core people, I would be silent and shy And at home, and never doing anything. I'm sure of it. (laughs) You would have been comfortable. I would have been comfortable. And what I thought was me. Mm -hmm. It changes you. Loss changes you in in huge ways. Mm. And and it's not always good. Mm -hmm. You know, I was determined that I would not become bitter and angry and depressed because who does that give honor to? Mm. It doesn't give honor to Ryan or if I just go back, you know, the brother I lost or the mother I lost or the father or 
all of my losses, it doesn't give honor to anybody Mm. and it doesn't give honor to me and it doesn't give honor to God. Now I say that like, I just decided that I wasn't going to be those things. So I have to say for people who are suffering, I have to make that decision every single day. I have to call meetings with Jesus and my angels and God and Ryan and my guides regularly. Like I sit in my room on my meditation pillow or on my chair and I call them in there and I, and I talk to them like I'm talking to you. I need help. I need help this week. I need, I need you to guide my steps guide my fingers on the websites I choose, that my eyes to the books I need. I am in constant need of help and I'm constantly requesting help. Mm -hmm. This is a difficult journey. So I don't want to make anyone think, oh my God, she's amazing. Look at her. Like, we'll go back to what I said. Don't go by what you see on the outside. We are all struggling and working. And that's the key is I'm so willing to do the work because there's no way around it. It's part of the process. You know, what's so interesting is over the course of the last year, it's so much easier to actually rely on those things than it is to rely on people. So much easier. Hmm. You know, it's like if you can put your entire reliance on your creator and on receiving guidance from your ancestors or from Jesus or whoever it is that you believe in, it's so much easier. And it's actually really deepens the relationship with yourself at the same time versus relying on people who are just people like us. They're on our journey. That's right. But to kind of end this on a high note, Smishi, you had said something a while ago that just came to me that was really interesting about how physically or spiritually, we're actually capable of dealing with a lot. Like we can deal with a lot of pain and loss and, but what, where we get stuck is in our brains. Yes. I was just sharing that. I've noticed that our spirit has zero problems, has zero injuries, whatever happens to us actually does not injure the spirit, does not injure the abstract parts of us, the eternal parts of us, the core. But the brain has a very difficult time acclimating to whatever happens, any injuries, shocks, traumas, pain, losses. You know, when we get disconnected from someone primal in our life, our brain is why we go into all the pain patterns and the following ways that our bodies deal with it, like a disease or anything, you know, a heart attack. Literally, you hear of some shocking news. Some people have a heart attack. It is not their spirit that responded with a heart attack. It was their brain that responded that way. And then the body mirrored it in the appropriate place. And so I think it is extraordinary. And yet again, if we knew our true anatomy, not just our physical anatomy and what we really are, we could come through things intact. 
It would be an extraordinary victory. You would even count on it from yourself. I think oftentimes when something happens, we uh, succumb to the circumstances. And by the way, I'm not saying go into denial and don't go through what you have to go through. When you have to grieve, you have to grieve to the bottom of it. Go to the bottom of that grief cup so that you can empty it. However, by doing that, you're permitting yourself to acknowledge it. That's part of the healing. What I'm saying is sometimes the brain won't go there, won't allow you to grieve, won't allow you to adjust. We just get sick. We swallow it. You know, we internalize it. We are made of indomitable stuff. We are not donkeys. (laughs) We're not donkeys. (laughs) We have many beautiful birds inside of us. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Golden falcons. I want to show you my falcons, not my donkeys. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to see. I want to see the falcons. Yeah. Let's all be in flight together. Yes. Wouldn't that be great from now on? You're like, you're at the grocery store and somebody rams into you, totally unconscious, doesn't say they're sorry. And you're like, I want to see your falcons. I don't want to see your donkeys. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> it's a good conversation opener. Yes, yes, I agree. Uh, I feel like I need to say that to my husband every day. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> you guys, thank you for the mini the mini sleepover. Mm-hmm. That was good. Yes, it was great. Thank you guys so much. This was fun. Thank you, Katani, for doing this. Mm. Of course, my pleasure. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time. 